met a young man. Oh, mama, he turned to me and said, Won't you be mine? Seven, eight, nine. Won't you be mine? Seven, eight, nine. Okay. Hi, everybody. We are back with the number nine. Love potion number nine, magic number nine, mystical number nine. Here we are at last. We will be, as always, talking about the minors, the four minors that are nines, um, the nine of wands, known as. This is a funny one. All of the all of them have like their regular titles and then their uh, golden dawn titles, which have one qualifier more. <laughs> so, right. um, nine of wands is strength or great strength. Nine of Cups is the Lord of Happiness or Material Happiness. Uh, Nine of Swords is Cruelty or Despair and Cruelty. And the Nine of Discs is Gain or Material Gain. Yeah, that is interesting that um, especially that it's emphasized that it's Material Gain in both the Cups and the Disc Suit, the two kind of, I guess you'd say, feminine suits yeah it's like there's an emphasis that you know we're getting increasingly concrete as we travel down in number and then we have the major arcana by number and reduce that's the hermit and the moon numbers 9 and 18 and then of course we'll be talking about the ninth sphere yesod and those cards which are connected to it so we have we have temperance between Teferet and Yesod, between the six and the nine. And then we have either the star or the emperor, depending on which system you're using, between Netzach and Yesod. And then we have the sun between Hod and Yesod, and of course, the world between Yesod and Malkut. Did and I, I miss any this time? There's a little connection, too, to the priestess through the idea of uh, Yesod's connection with the moon. Absolutely. I mean, if we're talking about temperance or art and the world, then we also have to be talking about the priestess at some level, since it's all, those are the middle pillar too. Yeah, as well as the connection with the moon. Number nine, wow. You know, every number is special. Every number (laughs) is the most infinite. Exactly. And unlike any other, and yet nine has a sort of numinosity about it and mysticism. It reminds me a little bit of seven that way. You know, in eight, it seems like we got a little bit of a break, but nine, it just vibrates with intensity. I'm trying to remember what it was, but I, I remember when we talked, did the episode about seven, there was a section in 777 that called, you know, seven, a number that was an evil number that couldn't be attacked because it was so perfect. And it said something very similar about the nine calling. Let me see if I can remember or find what it said. So for the seven, it it said in this section, which is on page 43, um, a most evil number whose perfection is impossible to attack for the seven. The nine (laughs) says most evil because of its stability. A-V-B. Witchcraft, the false moon of the sorceress. Wow. I'm not sure what's, a, what, what's AVB. Is there a, A-V-B. is that a Hebrew um, abbreviation for something? Not alpha sure. Vav bet or bet vav alpha. I can't, I can't think of it. Um, I just looked up the uh, AVB and that is, the, I, I don't have much about it, but 
there's AVB, which is supposed to be the astral light, and AVD, which is the magical light. Um, well, the astral light really makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, although I'm not know, sure this, where this... he's getting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's getting it from Hebrew, but I'm not sure exactly how. Yeah, that's yeah. what I assumed. Yeah. I guess it's it's kind of referring to you know the the lunar connection mm-hmm. seeming more connected to the actual card of the moon in the sense of the, you know the sorceress and the witchcraft and 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 stuff like that. Yeah. But that's interesting. Most evil because of its stability. That's what reminded me about that connection with the seven, which was most evil because of its perfection. <sighs> Yeah, and it also reminds me a lot about what he says about the major arcanum, the moon. You know, he has kind of always has a, a sort of a sense of the moon as being unreliable, as being uh, mm-hmm. generative of dangerous things. I don't know. I mean, it's like eight is predictable and stable, and you know what you're dealing with. But right. seven and nine, yeah, they have that perfection in that they don't need anything you know to to self-sustain um yeah nine in particular i think because it has that quality of reproducing itself so nine i mean in in nature we've got the nine months technically it's really nine and a half uh months of gestation of the human life yeah that's really kind of important symbolically too because and even the fact that it's nine and a half is interesting to me because you know, nine, they say it's the penultimate, it's the fullest part of, you know, force of the element. And at the 10, it's kind of degraded. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's nine and a half, there's a lot of interesting connections between the nine and the 10, obviously, you know, because, for um, sure. you know, the body and the astral are just so intimately connected. And the fact that birth, the gate of life is, mm-hmm. is at nine and a half, to me, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's almost like directly pointing at the universe card, the world that we're born into. Yeah. It's sort of like at nine, you're still, you know, not quite there. You're still in the astral realm. You're still contained. At 10, you're out and fully formed in an individual. But nine and a half is that moment, as you said, of birth. It's like right in between. Yeah. And it's also that moment between sleep and wakefulness, too. That's true. That that's true. liminal space that's really interesting. I saw, I can't remember if it was in Agrippa or in, I saw something that suggested there were nine outward and nine inward senses. So, you know, the five senses for the outward senses, of course. But then it suggested that there were four inward senses, which are memory, the cogitative mind, the imaginative mind, and common sense. So again, that sort of, you know, transition between the internal and the external. Nine, uh, nine muses. Nine, yeah, nine muses, and then uh, nine nine companions of the Lord of the Ring and the nine oh, ring wraiths. Right. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot about that. Uh, the nine lords of men. Yep. Yeah. Nine yeah, they were the... the cat. Nine feng shui cures. Yeah. What was it? This is a Westcott quote. Uh, he said it was, the nine is like the ocean flowing around the other numbers within the decad, uh, that it's like the horizon. Because I guess because it contains it. Huh, um, that's interesting because that reminds mm-hmm. me of something else I read about the number nine that described it as because it's three by three, they call it begotten by three and the fulfillment mm-hmm. of three, which that's kind of interesting in, with the connection Ooh. to Binah or whatever, but yeah. it described the three as horizontal and being birth and life, which makes sense if you think of, when you think of the three, you think of the empress and she's that horizontal path between the supernals. Yeah. And then it said the nine was vertical, 
the connection to source or spirit, which, you know, obviously makes total sense with the nine, you know, being part of the middle pillar. Another thing that kind of relates to what we were saying about the liminal space between nine and 10 is that, you know, in the Naples arrangement, of course, it's the point's idea of being. And (laughs) it's sort of like Mm -hmm. there's the idea and there's the being. (laughs) And it's sort of in between, you know, the idea of of being. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, it's the first... idea of being the thoughts, the thoughts that create reality. That's the sat part of sat chit ananda, uh, the first yeah, I- so idea of the reality. Seven, you know, we talked about it the last two episodes, the, the mm-hmm. chit of eight, the knowledge and the um, kind of emotions or bliss mm-hmm. of the seven ananda, that with the nine being like the balance point of that. There's something there about how... A combination of emotion and thought is what leads to the arising of being. Yeah. Yeah. That gives birth to reality in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Or Hmm. pre-reality. There was something else that kind of ties into this that I found. It's a little counterintuitive when you Mm -hmm. talk about the elemental connections to the sephirot, but Isot is air. You know, you think of it as having a connection with water because of the moon's connection to water, but it's actually in the trinity of Hod, Netzach, and Isod. Isod is air, Netzach Mm -hmm. is fire, Hod is water. But what it said about that, that, you know, this contradictory thing, I thought that was kind of interesting. It said, the integrity of the Sephiroth is guaranteed by that each contains its contradictory in itself. Thus, the foundation, which is stability, cannot be shaken because it is also the ideal of elasticity and instability. So that hmm. idea of instability is obviously, you know, the fluctuating lunar yes. force. Yes. And, you know, the elasticity of air um, and the astral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way that it can be f- formed into anything, so that it's again, it's that stability equals change equation that comes up so often, right? And which we're going to be, I think, talking about throughout this episode of nine. And it's such a paradox um, and so hard to understand. But I think that that helps sort of illuminate uh, what that concept really means. The other thing is that you know it is the number of the astral plane, as we've been saying, and some people call it even the anima mundi, the soul mm. of the world. Soul yeah. of the world, I could see that. Yeah, behind the surface of visible, tangible matter, there has to be a pattern. There has to be. I guess we always have had this desire to understand the the meaning just beneath the surface, the pattern underlying it, and I guess. You know, the concept of the anima mundi was one way of embodying that. And that totally ties into the the, the magical power of Isode, which is the vision of the machinery of the universe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and also Westcott calls it the emblem of matter, which is ever varying and never destroyed. You know, in the sense yeah, of ever like ever varying. That's that same ever elasticity varying. of the astral. exactly. So if you if you for example, in number, if you, you know, if you multiply nine by any number, the, you know, the multiples reduce if you add to the nine. digits together yeah. to nine, right? So that's, that's what he was sort of specifically pointing to when he said ever varying, never destroyed. And yet, that's also the whole concept that we keep seeing around the concept of nine, the idea of nine. 
Yeah, somewhere uh, I read something similar about you know the concept of nine and, and via reduction the multiples of nine and the, the the spiritual meaning of that was that nine always must face itself. Yes, which I thought was kind of cool. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I remember very vividly when I was a little kid, my my aunt who was a math teacher at the time, she was in the kitchen with me and she taught me my nine times table by, you know, holding my fingers up and then she would say, okay, put this finger down. If you put down your, you know, the second finger, then you'll get one and eight on either side of that. So nine times two is 18. And I remember doing this over and over and being kind of horrified by it because it seemed like such a cheat, you know? It doesn't seem like it should work. I was like, there's no way this is right. Leave it to Virgo to prefer it to be hard. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it this way. Um, It's worth mentioning the fact that Nine and Moon just go together, not just on the Tree of Life, which we talk about a lot, but but symbolically, generally. So goddesses are associated with the moon. Not necessarily with the moon, but with Isode, there are mm-hmm. male gods. Because mm-hmm. of, I'll just mention them, the, the male gods associated with Isode are Shu, the lord of air, mm-hmm. and Zeus as the lord of air. That um, makes sense. And uh, Eros, because of the, the power of sexuality and reproduction that's associated yeah. with Isode. And yeah. Ganesha. Elephants as an animal are associated with the Sode, but also Ganesha as like the breaker of of uh, boundaries and mm-hmm. obstructions, and then also Anubis and Hermanubis as the um, guardian of boundaries, because Isode is kind of like that boundary between our world and the rest of the tree. Right. And there was also Terminus, who I sounds Terminus. male to me, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> boundary, another boundary god, Terminus. Yeah, sounds almost Saturnine. Yeah, does which yeah. isn't you know which that does would kind not of make sense with the connection mm-hmm. to, to between Penn. Moon and Saturn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the triple goddesses, Diana, Hecate, Artemis. It's interesting that you have these figures of reproduction. Um, you mentioned the Eros figure as well, because it's sort of like you know the Moon. This placement is associated with sex. It's associated with the genital part of the body. It's associated with sex. And it's also just like the the idea of reproduction is in here, the desire for reproduction, whereas the actual reproduced thing, the reproduction itself, to me, seems to belong to the 10. Yeah, it's almost like the generative power of reproduction on the physical plane is the same thing as the the astral manipulation yeah. that also affects reality. You know, there's a connection there. They both generate something material. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, in the nine, it's the idea behind matter that you have to have in order to produce matter. And then in the 10, it's, you know, matter reproduces itself, you know, is a model that we see in the 10. So yesod, the word yesod, you know, we talk about it as meaning base or foundation or element, but it actually is cognate with the Arabic wisad, which means like a cushion or a pillow that you sleep on. There's a you know, There's uh, again uh, that co- that connection to sleep, which is a you know yeah. the, the moon card, which is one of the majors of of nine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and sleep is this you know act, which is our act of renewal every single night, which reproduces our waking state 
over and over again. There's and, an idea. you know, the moon is also, you know, it has to do with both the senses and the automatic body functions, you know, the things you don't think about having to do. Yeah. Like breathe yeah. and dream and, and, you know, that are kind of beyond your control and your body just does. Right. And which you have to honor without knowing the first thing about how they work. <laughs> right. Rachel Pollack says in The Kabbalah Tree, which is and even though it's not a Golden Dawn book, it still remains my favorite book on Kabbalah, I think. Uh, she says that the tree rests on this point. It rests on Yesod because it's not, mm -hmm. the, it, Malkut receives the tree. It's separate. It's, you know, it's different. It is not participating in the same way as the other nine Sephirot. And so therefore, you know, when we say that Yesod is the foundation, it means that all of the force of the tree comes to bear on Yasod. Everything That's kind of obvious when you look Yisod. at that 3D tree mm -hmm. of life, you know, we made, like looks mm -hmm. like it's made out of those toy, what do you call that? Yeah, toy, tinker, tinker toys. toys or whatever. <laughs> oh. But when you look at that, it's almost like Yasod is like this like cog that's put in there for the point of balance because it wouldn't be stable if it didn't have that there or something. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I've sort of learned by looking at the etymology of Yesod and sort of the ways it's used in modern Hebrew, it seems to be used to mean like something that's fundamental or essential, like you can't not have it because everything will fall apart. And that also kind of reflects the model that the 3D model that you're talking about, because it, everything depends on that point. It's also um, the sixth day of creation, remembering that we start from Chesed, the fourth Sephira. So it's the sixth day of creation when humans and creatures of the land were formed. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah another, another link with nine I just thought of just, you know, in mythology and stuff is the nine days that Odin hung on the tree. Yeah. And that's a very liminal thing as well. For sure. For sure. It's sort of like if you want to know the secrets, <laughs> there's going to be... Yeah, I got to hang out for nine days. Exactly. Upside down. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's funny. I was just thinking that the sixes and the nine are upside down versions of each other, you know, and the moon reflects yes. the light of Teferet. <laughs> right. Well, that's, yeah, that's a really valuable Isn't connection. Isn't that funny? You know, the six and nine, the sun and the moon. Yeah. And, and something I was reading about... That connection between Tiferet and Nisod kind of resonated because, it, you know, it's the, the moon is like the mirror of the light of the sun. And so it's the, on, the only way we can get in touch. You can't look directly at the sun. So yeah, it's like the only way you can get in touch with Tifara is through this reflection Nisod. Eliphaz Levi says that Nisod is the basis of all belief and all truth. That seems like a paradox or an oxymoron, doesn't it? In the sense yeah, that, you know, <laughs> truth and belief are not the same thing in our mundane world. But I guess you could say that at that level, they are in the same way that art is true in a way that is not literal, that you find truth by going one step behind the apparent meaning. Regardie says that it's the stable foundation, the changeless ebb and flow. Now, that phrase, changeless ebb and flow, really kind of stuck very with lunar. me. Yeah, very lunar because, you know, it also gets to that idea that constantly varying and never destroyed. Wang calls it the executive power because it rests on a firm base. So I don't know, executive power is an interesting one, but that to me reflects the idea that nines are this place of potency. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's Yesod is also called uh, the warehouse of or the storehouse of images, which I think is a beautiful phrase. Um, I've always loved that phrase, and it really speaks yeah. also to this something that I think is really important, especially now. You know, because of these difficult times. So every when they talk about the storehouse of images, every thought that every human has ever had is mm-hmm. in that storehouse, right? Yeah. Everyone. Everything yeah. that we've ever thought of or conceived of throughout time, humanity, and all the dreams and fears of humanity over time, so there's that connection to the universe and to the three, are stored there, right? The fact that it's the nine is the energetic you know, structure behind reality, that can be altered. So our thoughts are so important, and I'm just bringing this up now because it's something I've been thinking about, that the more people think certain thoughts, there's this theory that the more likely they're Mm. able to come into manifestation. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important that we try to counteract the negativity that's in like the news bombarding Mm -hmm. us with these images of death and destruction Mm -hmm. you know to kind of counteract that with some thoughts or connection to some other thoughts you know what I mean yes yes I think that you know as a storehouse of images that's another way of saying the collective unconscious the you know myth dreams archetypes right the um the phrase itself comes from, I think, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think it comes from Baudelaire, who was a French poet who lived, you know, shortly before the Golden Dawn. There was a, there was a, there's a quote from him from 1868, where he talks about the, uh, le magasin d'image, which means the, the storehouse of images. And the quote basically says that the visible universe is nothing but a storehouse of images and signs to which the imagination, you know, that's you said, the imagination gives a place and a relative value. So, you know, reality itself, he describes as a pasture, which imagination digests and transforms. So the power of that place of the imagination to create our reality is unfathomable, I think is the Mm -hmm. point. I was thinking about that. Right, it can be- even alter the physical. That, that's the whole <laughs> right. point of it. Right. Your thoughts can have some effect on your physical world. Yes. I, I was mean, thinking about that this morning, not actually. not as easy as all that, but there is something to that idea of Yisod being the energetic foundation of that which is real in the physical. There is no doubt that something intangible creates your reality. Something yeah, there's energy behind matter, I guess. Yeah. The spirit behind matter. Yeah, I was thinking about th- that this morning because I was telling you before we went on air that three of us in Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy drew the devil today. <laughs> and I was wondering about, you know, what that says about the moment and how we can reclaim it in different ways. Because on the one hand, the devil is that s- sense that we're all having, you know, with, that we are closed in and bound and unable to act in the way we want. But it's also the rebirth of life, you know, right. no the matter what. Right, irrepressible life force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To break yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. The light bringer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the vision of the machinery of the universe, which I love. I, I know. That isn't that idea. awesome? That's so great. <laughs> it's like being able to go behind the illusion and see how things work. 
Right. The great Oz behind the curtain. Yes. <laughs> the virtue is independence and the vice is idleness. Independence is interesting in terms of the miners when we get to talk to them, I think. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, we have that independent woman mm-hmm. in the Rider White Smith Nine of Pentacles. And there's something about the aloneness of the Nine of Wands, you know, that moment of yeah. cruelty and despair, waking up from nightmare, mm-hmm. you know, even the um, the happiness card, the material happiness, that guy's, you know, kind of sitting all alone. Um, yeah. It's, it's really evident in the, in the, in the Rider Waite cards, I think. Yeah, for that sure. That idea of for independence. Sure. And it also reflects back that sort of idea of the perfection, whether or not you call it evil, of the number nine. Um, right. And idleness, I guess that's the the vicious side of independence in the sense that it's also reflects a lack of willingness to engage at some level, you know, mm. a sort of like not needing anything else. I think that, you know, I like to think about the fact that the, the vice of nine is idleness and the vice of 10 is avarice. Yeah, because, interesting. You know, there's it? a real contrast between those two. Mm-hmm. But there's also the vice, there's two vices of 10 and the other one's inertia, mm, which is right, right. It's kind of like similar idleness. to idleness. Exactly, <laughs> it really but. is. Yeah. Huh. You know what? I mean, I think maybe the difference is that with idleness, you have the ability and you're not using it. Whereas inertia, mm. it's sort of like you're just there. A lump. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then the weapon, the perfume and sandals. What do you yeah, make of that? Yeah, that's super cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the perfume, I really like the idea of perfume because it's that, you know, Yisoda's that link between Tiferet and the, you know, and Keter above with the earth and Malkut because perfume mm. is kind of like that. It's the material in the incense being burned, but yeah. that rises up and affects your consciousness through aroma it's the olfactory senses the bodily senses that it then interacts with on some you know more high level exactly whether it's perfume or it's incense it's based in matter and yet its signal quality is this this ephemeral you know whether it's the scent or the aroma or you know right. something How that's aroma of air can, you know affect mm-hmm. your the liminal subliminal parts of your brain and a scent can trigger a memory or a thought yeah and yesod being of air you know it seems very very appropriate that its weapon would be perfume sandals i'm not so sure <laughs> well you know the sandals thing i mean you would think of that as mercury which is there is a connection to hode because of um you know Nisod is mm-hmm. connected to Hode. And there's also that idea of the sandals being what you put on your feet, which are on the connection to Earth. So there's mm-hmm. that Malkut thing, and you you are risen above them. There again, there's that heaven and earth connection. And then yeah. there's also the the you know the the shape of the sandal, the sandal strap, which is the rose cross, which is. The vehicle, you know, the power to go, that idea of what makes a god, what mm-hmm. the idea of a god is, they say, the power to go. That's the, that's what gods do. They go. But then man can also achieve that godhood and that power. And it's somehow through that rosy cross of evolution that is mm-hmm. represented by the sandal and, and going, you mm. know. 
that mm. idea of evolution as always occurring and, and ever flowing forward. I like that a lot. The god name is Shaddai El Chai, which I've seen translated as like Shaddai meaning almighty, the almighty living God. Chai, of course, is life. It's also in Latin, I think this is cognate with uh, Deus Omnipotence, the omnipotent God, because that sort of seems to encapsulate a couple of different concepts. The idea, like we've been saying, the idea of power that's native to the nine, the idea of potency, but also the idea that, you know, the creatures of the land and humans all are bound together in some way, and that this is the place where that is mm. recognized to be divine. That's interesting in that another meaning of the number nine in one of those uh, numerological sections of 777 was the sun degraded to, the sun, S-O-N, mm -hmm. degraded to mere animal life. Right, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I think we talked about it when we went over those sections in, uh, I don't know which episode it was, one of the last <laughs> two, or th two or three, like I think it was during this... Yeah. Six, seven, or eight. We, we, yeah, that makes sense. It's like the animal being, and that kind of also ties into those parts of the body's functions that are automatic. Yeah. Hmm. The archangel of Yesod is Gabriel, or Gavriel, I guess, That which is interesting because he's one of the healing angels, mm. but also is kind of known as the angel of revelation. Or enunciation. And the angel of vision, which mm. really ties into this storehouse of images. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, all angels, of course, are messengers. That's what the word means. But I think there's something about Gabriel in particular as a conveyor of divine visions and images to There's humans. a really uh, cool meditation in Gareth Knight's Kabbalistic Symbolism book. Mm-hmm. Under in the section of Isod, that I I thought it was it was a really cool one to try. I've tried it and it's it's pretty interesting. So you you basically visualize Gabrielle as this angel that is you know dressed in peacock colors and that they aren't the mm. real colors of the you know that they don't kind of correspond so much to the colors. It's more greens and blues and silvers. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, you, you envision this angel with silver wings and hair that's kind of lifting up as if the air is lifting it with uh, yeah. liquids and the hair is like liquid silver and he's standing on liquid silver and he's dressed mm. in blues and greens. And mm. so you, you you do that imagination and then he, you turn him into a silver pillar of like liquid silver with maybe some, oh, you know, wow. purples in it with, and with like blue, the blue and green clouds of air around this the silver pillar and mm. then you morph that silver pillar into a nine-sided crystal you know so i picture like it having three facets at the top like a pyramid and the same at the bottom like a double mm -hmm. terminated crystal and then three flat sides at least that's how i imagined it, it didn't mm -hmm. really describe it just said nine-sided mm -hmm. so you, you imagine this ninefold crystal with blue and green light coming out of it and you just watch it and see what appears, what vision, because mm. Gabriel's the angel of vision, what vision do, is shown to you in the crystal, in the meditation. Hmm. And then after that, you turn it back to the angel form just to, you know, ground and yeah, get out of the meditation, you know, disconnect. And this is a path working in Gareth Knight? Yeah, it's in um, Garrett Knight's Practical Guide to Kabbalistic Symbolism in the Esod section. 
Mm. I love the idea uh, of the liquid silver that kind of paints his form because, you know, in Golden Dawn ceremonial magic, Gavriel is associated with water in the West, yeah. generally. You know, water in the West themselves are very often Liminal. tied together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea and, of the sunset and the death yeah, symbolism of the West. Absolutely. You know, ancestors are said to dwell in the West. The the fairies were supposed to disappear into the West. And there is this sort of mystical idea of the West as the beyond, the realm we can't get to until we pass on from this world. Oh, and then and that's actually a good transition to the color scales. Um, so these are the colors of Yisod. Now we think generally we think of it as violet which is the queen mm-hmm. scale because that's in the you know minute to mundum diagram but the four right. colors the king scale is indigo the queen scale is violet um the prince scale is very dark purple and the princess scale is citrine flecked azure yeah any idea it's interesting those colors except part, for though? the citrine yeah they're all like deep space colors kind of you know yeah maybe the citrine has to do with reflecting the light of the sun in some yeah way. to ferret yeah. Right. Because, you know, that was the other, another way I've seen Iso described as a two way mirror. So one yeah. side faces Malku and the other Tefera. Oh, that's nice. I've not heard of that. That's, that makes a lot of sense, though. Shall we look at some cards? <laughs> sure. Uh, so, strength, happiness, cruelty, and gain. Doesn't it seem like there's kind of extremes of feeling in these cards well yeah they, they, yeah they are kind of like the utmost expression of their element because in the 10 you know then it gets to like mm-hmm. that overripe theme for sure each of these kind of has the suit acting at its maximum potential you know like you know how the way is in terms of anticipation the anticipation of a thing is like that's that's the real experience of it not getting the thing itself you know um like when you if you look at the nine of cups, the moment before you, when you know you're going to get something that you really want, <laughs> yeah. that's the joy. That's the yeah. excitement. Not I mean, I've the even, moment I've of even heard it. that the most fun of a vacation is in the planning of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Which seems exactly. to be true because, yeah. <laughs> that's something that Waite says about the nine of cups. He, it shows someone who is feasted to his heart's content and the future is also assured. You know, the mm. future is very much part of it um Crowley also says that happiness you know he talks about happiness as a matter of luck you know the fortune or Jupiter side of the nine of cups because there's there's a quality about it that's still up in the air still not quite formed that makes it that much more joyous I guess I was thinking of the word maximum to describe these cards like the nine of cups as being the maximum moment of maximum desire the maximum wish whereas the strength card the nine of wands is kind of like the moment of maximum tension you know we always talk about Sagittarius as the bow straining right before the release of the arrow and the strength archer that it takes to hold it there yeah there's also something about maximum like maximum health or something because Mm -hmm. it's after you've vanquished there's always something about the nine of wands that is 
the strength of and health that came after some period of adversary kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's kind so, of like... You know, the whole what doesn't kill you makes you stronger thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, weight literally calls it strength in opposition. And it's like that moment after you've just gotten over a virus where you're you're pumped full of antibodies, you're actually, you get kind of a surge of energy right after you've been sick. And I think that that's... That's part of that card. There's also that that sense of experience informing the health and strength of the person in the Nine of Wands. Because you've been exposed, you're stronger. Yeah, or because you've done some work. Yeah, yeah, you're done stronger. something difficult. Yeah, yeah. And then the uh, <laughs> the nine, <laughs> the nine of swords. The uh, where Crowley calls it, the Ruach consumes itself. And I remember you saying when we did this, mmm, tasty self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did I say that really? Yeah, I think you did. It was hilarious. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. I don't know why you know, my mouth gets these things. I don't know. The uh, weight says this is someone who knows no sorrow un- like unto hers. So first of all, he, he's quite specific that it's a woman. Uh, in this card but interesting um, yeah because it's mars and gemini it's kind of odd but then again it is the moon placement that you said oh right right yeah but there's something about this that is like the the experience of unhappiness when it seems like there is no other way of thinking when you're locked in a pattern you know and it seems like there's no escape from it to me that's that's that maximum anguish or maximum anticipation that something bad is happening it's the prison of the mind and i think uh yeah it's really you know, also calls it the cathedral of the damned well yeah because like if you think about what follows is the 10 which mm-hmm. is arguably the worst card in the deck the 10 of swords in many ways you know it's mm-hmm. like it's almost more of a death card than the death card. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so the nine is that, you know, anticipation of that, right? Right, right. And what's oh, worse than that? Because once you're dead, <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> right. I saw in 777, one of the columns is called Translation of Hells. And, you know, it has these different, you know, types of hells. I don't know, states of hell. But then for the nine and ten... They both just say hell. (laughs) (laughs) That is the superpower of the mind, in a sense, is to create realities. But some of those realities are nightmares. Exactly. Yeah. Dreams and fears. Dreams and fears, for sure. And then the Lord of Gain, (laughs) Curly says it purrs with satisfaction. He kind of wants to convey that the the nine nine of discs is perfectly satisfied, you know, not striving for anything else. It's... There's something different about the quality and the stability of discs that makes it feel good to be there. And even weight describes this as being a card of material well-being, the sense that you finally have enough, mm. I think. You know, and I think there's a difference between that and like, you know, the 10 where you have so much that you just have to turn it to other uses and give it away. Yeah. You know, the 9 is sort yep. of like I'm all set, I'm all provided for. That's really interesting in terms of the vices of uh, idleness versus inertia we were talking about, right? Yeah. So, you know, the the woman in the Rider-Waite-Smith card is certainly kind of living a life of kind of idleness with having everything Mm -hmm. she needs. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas in the 10, there's that sense that you are are supposed to spend it or else it's just sitting there inert. Does sort of help. Also, you Mm -hmm. know, the greed of hanging on to something isn't really healthy. 
it's sort of like you can attain whatever you can attain, but if you just sit on your laurels, that's not the point. Right, right. You know, the point is to pay to it go. forward or pass it on to go, to go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. That is the point. And one thing that, you know, we don't really talk about court cards in the nine, but it's interesting to me that the nine is the final decan of the Niter King because, you know, the king is the authority, right? And this, the nine can represent that ultimate potential, that sort of like mm. the ability to act and to have all of the resources gathered right there, which is something that kings do have. It's something that they have the ability to disperse or to command at some level. Yeah, it's the height of the mutable force. Yeah, the power of the office to close the deal, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's the executive function, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And it's also, you know, the idea of the mutable power kind of ties into the elasticity element. Yeah, yeah, the ability to do what it takes to get the thing done. And I was thinking about this during this whole coronavirus crisis because, well, you and I are both mutables who are married to fixeds. And, mm-hmm. and, and Randy said to me the other day, because I was like getting a little frustrated that not enough was getting done. He's like, it's enough for us to just maintain our routines. And I was like, you know what? Easy for you to say. <laughs> yes, it's such a fixed mentality. But I think, you know, the superpower of the mutables, if there is one, is to close the deal, is to get the thing done, is to say, okay, <laughs> you know, let's finish this thing right let's so, do whatever it takes yeah do whatever it let's takes let's move that etheric energy and make it real <laughs> let's manifest it exactly yeah. exactly uh oh right so um majors majors we've got the hermit and the moon and i think you know your deck tabula mundi was the first time that i i think when it was in the Knox at lux when it came out i had never really thought about the connections between the hermit and the moon and i think it was you know because you kind of pointed that out with your hermit card that i realized oh my god you know uh these two have a profound connection yep i think it loaves and fishes loaves and fishes (laughs) for sure i mean it's virgo pisces axes for one as you're saying loaves and fishes but also they have this sort of relationship with the sun you know in a Mm -hmm. way you know in the terms of they both do yeah Mm -hmm. seriously yeah because the moon is there you know presiding as the the sun is being carried beneath the earth by the hermit, you know, that's sort of like the sun's got this journey that it's taking in darkness and hidden while the moon is kind of watching the space above while that's happening. And of course, the moon's light is the sun's light. Reflected. Yeah, the moon's phases are, are intimately connected with the sun's travel, yeah. obviously. Yeah. You know, one thing that I was thinking about is this sort of hidden quality of Yesod slash the moon, you know, in the sense that the hermit mm. qualitatively is this figure who seeks out the secrets of the world. You know, he is the secret seed. He's the one who's trying to figure out how things work. And he's, you know, um, in charge of that hidden journey to rebirth. Solitary, independence. Yeah. And also the idea, the potential of it. I mean, Waite says of the hermit that he represents attainment in the sense of where I am, you also may be. All of us have the power to regenerate in the same Lighting way. the way. In terms kind of fits of, with the idea of the moon as the inner light. And the fact that what the moon presides over, that nighttime journeys, you know, in our dreams, in our, in our imagination, in that 
unconscious state, we do reshape the world, is this maximum potential to reform. And one thing we haven't mentioned about Yesod is that it is the base of the triangle of formation, the world of formation in Yetzirah, the idea that this is where that storehouse of images is formed. You know, what the moon does is it's, you know, this endless well or sea of hidden realities that have yet to come to be. But they will when the sun shines yeah. again. That just reminded me of something I was looking at again in 777. It was a column on the elements of the Sephiroth. And mm-hmm. nine is obviously air, related to air. Mm-hmm. But what was really interesting to me is so the, the supernals, Keter is the root of air. Just that connection between the root of air and Keter, yeah. you know, pure potential and then being the lowest representation of air in Isod, where the potential is starting to actually be a possibility. There's air in the root of air. I don't know. There's mm-hmm. something about yeah, that. Yeah, there's something there. The other spot on the tree where there's air is, of course, in the six. So there's mm-hmm. that connection, too. So you have Keter and the potential. You have the center of the tree in the six. And then you have the final expression of air in the nine. Yeah, there's um, something very interesting that Waits says about the moon card. He says, the face of the mind directs a calm gaze upon the unrest below. The dew of thought falls. The message is peace be still. And it may be that there shall come a calm upon the animal nature while the abyss beneath shall cease from giving up a form. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that is interesting. First of all, it's it's more evocative than most of what wait. Really. Yeah, it's more poetic than he it's usually more gets. More poetic, huh? <laughs> not yeah. quite as dry. You know, on the one hand, there's our fears that arise in the moon, which I think Crowley does a really good job of unpacking the kind of uncertainty and distress and anguish and anxiety that are associated with the moon. But here, Waite seemed to have a view of the moon that that really was more of a, almost a middle pillar view in the sense that it's a conduit for instinct and that instinct can provide calm as well as panic. The animal nature, that reminds me of that mm. phrase, Shaddai El-Chai, when the mind can rest Therefore, we can at that moment kind of take comfort in life continuing itself without agitation, without mental activity. You know, like when you're meditating, that sense of your life continuing on its own and mm. your body breathing on its own. Automatic. Yeah. And the, I also and like the do of thought yeah. uh, terminology, the idea of, you know, thought condensing, you know, yeah. and creating yeah. a something that, you know, appears like do. I don't know if I I was familiar with that quote at the time when we did the moon episode, um, but, you know, those yodes that are falling uh, mm-hmm. from the, uh, the 15 yodes falling from the moon, those, those I think, are the do of thought. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something about the, the 15 days to, that's half the moon cycle in that as well, but, but that idea that the do of thought falls and it falls in the sense that it disappears, it's no longer active, but also it rests on the ground and regenerates, you know, mm. the ground beneath it. That final line, the abyss beneath shall cease from giving up a form. I, I had to read that a few times because I wasn't sure what he meant, but I think it has to do with the crawfish 
crawling out of the sea, you know, out of the water. The abyss shall cease from giving up a form. That crawfish is like the fears of the mind that it constructs, you know, mm. out of the unconscious. And it will cease to do that once you attain yeah. calm. That yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, definitely seems to have some bearing on some of the things we talked about in the Nine of Swords as well. Mm-hmm. And then we have the uh, the four majors um, attached to Yasod. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, we have, we have, of course, Ardor Temperance, central of all central majors, between um, the sun and the moon, between Yasod and Teferet. Right, what's being fed into Yasod. Yeah, and there's like, you know, that self-sufficiency, that power of the nine is like, we can think of it as, Jungian self-integration, right? That we find our power once we have made peace between the unconscious and the conscious selves. You'll have to help me out with the the emperor. I wasn't quite sure how to how to relate it to you said. Well, I was looking I was looking at the three, you know, up, above Isod mm-hmm. as kind of like a triad where temperance or art is alchemy, the alchemy, the mixing where the sun is the illumination of thought connecting to Hode, and the emperor is the structure that is applied to these astral forms that uh, will make them manifest. Yeah, the and organization also of them, because otherwise they're just kind of amorphous mm-hmm. if they're not organized somehow. Yeah, and I was thinking of, you know, in, in Rider Wade Smith, those two, instead of being the sun and the emperor, are the sun and the star. And I was thinking, you know, sun, star, moon, first of all. But mm-hmm. also, well, Yasoda is representing the cyclical, the interconnected, the sort of processes of nature, and that the sun is kind of our cognitive understanding of the fact that, you know, every day the sun rises again, we can sort of apply a rational expectation to cycles and and, and use our mm-hmm. mind to determine what's going to come next. But the star is more, to me, sort of represents the intuitive understanding that we're interconnected, the sort of like the hope and the faith of the star. I was thinking of it as kind mm. of like, it's almost similar to the function of the emperor, but in a different way Mm. in that the star is like the ideal, Mm -hmm. which the organization of the astral function of the emperor is towards an ideal. You Mm -hmm. know, if you wanted to apply it to manipulate the astral, you would be applying it towards some ideal idea. Think of it as being, you know, how the star Aquarius astrology kind of all connected. You know, I think I think of it as like the patterns above being reflected below is a, is a theme that we find both in Yasod and the star. There's a relationship and a pattern. A, mm. And that's a, like a connection between the star and the emperor again. Yes, yes, the, yes, the assumption of structure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course we have the world. Which Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> you are here. <laughs> so interesting between Yasod and Malkut because one of the things we'll talk about I think when we get to Malkut is the idea of the bride. And Yasod as being between Malkut and Tiferet is that point of union between the bride and the bridegroom. Yes. And, you know, and the world is that is the way we get there, you know, is the path of the world. It's that that transition between the mundane and the astral. That first gate to the entire tree. Yeah. And I was thinking about, you know, how we love to talk about Saturn and the world and the wreath of the world is sort of like 
Is it a prison or is it something that keeps you safe, right? In Yesod, we can view the containment of the world as safety because it's a place where you gestate. It's a place where you become whole. It's a place where you're protected. But by the time you get to Malkut, that is a prison <laughs> that you need to bust out of to reproduce. <laughs> Depending well, yeah, on it's whether the idea you're... that once you're born, you're busy dying, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the cause of death was birth. Yes. <laughs> There's something in between Yesod and Malkut and the world that implies a relationship with endings and beginnings and the perspective you have that determines which it is. Is it an ending or is it a beginning? It depends on where you stand. And what your thoughts are. And what your it. thoughts are. Is the ripening of the fruit you know, the moment when it becomes perfect or the moment when it dies. Yeah. And there's something there about the tension between time and eternity, you know, yeah, yeah. The structure, the limitation of time or the eternity, the eternal nature of time. Yeah. Which brings us back to the idea of the ever varying, but never being destroyed. I have a good uh, one that maybe we can use for the ending, mm -hmm. which is um, we can't really do it now, but maybe after this uh, quarantine period is over, because we can't mm -hmm. have dinner parties or whatever, right. but um, <laughs> there's a saying that Romans would use when planning a dinner party, and it said, no fewer than the fates, no more than the muses. So no fewer than three or no more than nine oh, uh, people for a wow. dinner party. That's I guess nice. it's still under the 10 in some areas. But, uh, yeah, no fewer than the fates, no more than the muses. No more than the muses. Huh, nice. For the Roman dinner party. All right. So um, maybe we can do a quick rundown of themes before we close it out. The imagination a lot. Truth and fiction. Mm, the astral, the storehouse of images. Mm, and myth. how the etheric structure of the you know machinery of the universe can be altered. Yes, myth, dreams, archetypes, and the Through collective unconscious. Power and potential. Independence and idleness. Psychological patterns and uh, penultimate expressions of the elements. Mm. You know, it's also psychic ability. I, we haven't even really talked about that, but that's in there too. And magic. Oh, totally. Well, the astral, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the astral light and uh, the yeah. collective unconsciousness and the dreams and fears of humanity accumulating over time. Mm-hmm. Sex and, rep and reproduction, for sure. And generative instincts. Mm. Yeah. Nine is my favorite number. Always has been. As a matter of fact. So thank you, Nine. It's nine been, is done, as one of the sayings done. about Nine is, because it's is it? the last single digit. Yeah, one of the things that says Nine is done. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Yeah, in yep. a sense, it's like when we get to 10, we'll be doing one now all over now, again. <laughs> the 10 is something else, because you, you're, now you're in double digits, and you're returning back to unity, you know, the one and the zero. But in the Nine, you're complete. You're done. Yes. All right. And with that... We are done. <laughs> so see you next time. Thank you for journeying with us through the mysteries of the nine. And we will be back next time with the 10. See you then.